0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And it's time now for The Culture Club. And we're joined today by a fashion designer. Not the first fashion designer that we've had Paul Costello was on the C- Culture Club and actually there was another Kerry man a fashion designer as well as Gaelic footballer Paul Galvin did the Culture Club with us as well. But today we're joined by Don O'Neill who has recently returned to Ireland after how
1: many years living in Brooklyn and New York? Believe it or not Matt, we were there for 30 years living in, in New York, 30 fabulous years.
0: And you've gone from Brooklyn back to Ballyhigh in County Kerry, why?
1: Um, it's a bit of a long story but I'll give you the short one. Um, the goal was always one day to retire to Ballyhig, which would be several years from now. Um, but COVID sorta of brought both of our careers to a, a bit of a grounding halt and it gave me a chance to step off the treadmill and when I got off to when I got to step off the treadmill I realised just how fast I'd been running and it was a relief to get off it. So there was a crossroads at the time and it was either to get back on it and keep going for another 10 years in New York or make the break now and come home to a beautiful Ballyhike.
0: But are you still working from Ballyhike?
1: No, I am currently um, on a career sabbatical, I'll put it, looking for um, a change of pace and I think a change of scenery and probably um, I'll do something new with my life that might not necessarily be fashion. Okay, tell us about the fashion
0: that you did, because you had some very famous clients over the years, haven't you?
1: Well, I, I have to say I had a very charmed existence while I was in New York. Um, I worked very hard for it, and, and I earned what I had. Um, and I think a lot of it, I believe, was Irish look, is how I, I tend to look at it. Ah, come on, you're being unduly <laughs> modest. <So laughs> you, for
0: example, I believe, dressed Oprah Winfrey for the Oscars in 2013. I did. As an
1: example. I did, as an example. I was very fortunate. I... Um, I had the occasion to dress her in a few a few times before that and she had become sort of a customer of ours and I had made that particular dress for her to wear on the cover of old magazine and she loved the dress so much she actually wore it a second time to one of the most public events in her life was when she received her honorary Oscar so that was a, a big pinch me moment in New York for sure. And others, Taylor Swift? Yeah, Taylor Swift. And then there's Carrie Underwood and Julia Roberts and Angela Bassett and Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle. There's there's a long list. I've been very lucky. Um, and Any of the Kardashians? Um, yes, there's been. I dressed Chloe Kardashian a few years ago after the Grammys. Um, she wore one of my dresses with a thigh high slit that she had another inch or two to the slit and made all sorts of wonderful headlines for us. That was a particularly special moment.
0: How demanding and difficult can these customers be and go on, name names? No, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're retired now. You don't have to be discreet anymore.
1: I was very fortunate, Matt, in that um, um, all of the women that I worked with were were truly extraordinary. And dressing women, believe it or not, it's actually a a very vulnerable time for all of them. And it's not just your average woman going out for an evening, but... The bigger the star you are, the more vulnerable you feel on the red carpet because the eyes of the world are on you and you really need to trust your team and the designer that's dressing you so that there's no faux pas on the red carpet and that you look great. So there's a big relationship of trust. And particularly with social media now and the catty comments it's, you would get. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty tough on them. It really is grueling. People don't realise it. You think it's all glamour and champagne and red carpets, but... Everybody works really hard from my end, from the designers to the stylists to the celebrities themselves. It's not an easy world at all. How did you get into it? Um, Kind of by default. I was actually, um, I actually had a um, a passion for fashion when I was really young. And I went to um, art college in uh, Limerick um, with the. With the idea that, oh sorry, in Cork, I went to college in Cork. Big and,
0: difference between Cork and sorry. I know you're a Kerry man, but you can't be making mistakes like well, that. Well, the
1: idea was to go to Cork and then to transfer actually after the foundation year to Limerick. And I got homesick after my first few months in Cork and dropped out of fashion and decided my second passion was the culinary arts. So I trained to be a chef and I was no, lo- no longer out the door as a chef, but... Um, I won a competition in the Irish Independent newspaper where I was hoping to win an outfit for my sister from the legendary Michael Mortel, who was a fabulous designer back in the 80s and 90s. And that was second prize, but I won first prize and it was tuition to a fashion college, the Barber Bar College here in Dublin. So I packed away my knives and came back to fashion and literally the rest is history from there.
0: Okay, well, listen, we got to get to our culture club choices. We could talk about that for ages. We ask everybody to nominate the first piece of music that they remember buying. And you've got an album from the mid 1970s.
1: Yeah, so um, ABBA Arrival. I was utterly fascinated by ABBA, and there were so many amazing tracks on that album. Um, and there, I just remember the four of them sitting in that bubble helicopter on the front of that LP and that was like my prized possession forever. I think the LP itself, has it's got so dog-eared and so worn down because that album was played over and over and over again. There were so many great tracks that went on to be classics on the ABBA Arrival album.
0: Well, let's hear one. Let's see if we can identify it. the sing From the album Arrival, which also has Knowing Me, Knowing You. and
1: Dancing Queen was a big hit on that one.
0: Okay. You also picked a single for us,
1: and you clearly were into the discos from very early age. Well, Boney M at the time were huge, and I remember Daddy Cool was sort of the coolest thing ever, and um, we didn't have a disco at home, and I guess very few people in their little villages had discos, so we improvised with our little mini Top of the Pops, and we used to dance around holding torchlights from bicycles in our hands and we'd wave them in the air in a dark garage and pretend we had our disco with our little tape recorder playing or the record player playing Daddy Cool at at full volume with our little disco.
0: Let's hear a bit of it.
1: She's crazy like a fool
0: cool and you're going to bring us through the decades by the looks of it because when we asked you to nominate a favourite band or favourite album, you've gone to the
1: 1980s and Simple Minds. Well, Simple Minds for me, that that whole uh, New Gold Dreams album was just heavenly and I guess for me as a designer, um the rhythm of music was always associated with fashion and walking down a podium and when I design, part of my design process is to listen to music at full volume in my ears and i it sort of i let my pencil be guided by the music it sounds like a strange phenomenon but there's nothing preconceived and i just i let i listen to the music and let the pencil flow and the ideas just appear on pa- on the page as if magic before my eyes can it be any type of music it needs to be it needs to be specific and it needs to have a beat to it and this album in particular simple minds there were so many great tracks that lent themselves to i could see models walking down the runway me pretending that i was one of them at times on the beach in Ballyhag with my Walkman walking down the beach and stomping down as if I had the biggest catwalk in the world with this entire world watching me on the catwalk. And that's how I imagined my designs would be on the runway. And that was a very inspiring album for me just to listen to as a young man.
0: Let's hear a little bit from New Gold Dream. This is Someone, Somewhere.
1: someone somewhere in summertime. Do you still listen to that? I do. And I actually, would you believe, it, it comes up every now and again on my Pandora play because it's just things that I enjoy listening to. And then for this particular interview with you today, I just listened to the album again a few weeks ago and it just brought back so many vivid memories of different periods of my life that I listened to that album through. Which particular times? Well, there was, I mean, I, I first listened to the album in the early 80s living here in Ireland, but then when I moved to London I was working as a designer in London, Um, Simple Minds again were at the peak of their career, and it reminds me of a time when I was making my sister's wedding dress, and they were playing at Wembley Stadium. And I lived literally five minutes up the road from there, and I was supposed to go to the concert. But typical as some fashion designers can be, I was a little behind schedule, and the project at hand was sort of I took on more than I could I bargained for, and there was serious embroidery on the dress, and there was a deadline. Deirdre was getting married, and the dress had to be finished, and I had to forsake the concert. So I was sitting at home, listening to the album as I'm sewing the beads on Deirdre's wedding dress while they're down in Wembley playing live. But that was different part. It was just an amazing period.
0: We asked you for Best gig, and you're not a particularly big concert goer, I believe.
1: No, I'm not. And there's a funny story behind that. Um, as kids, um, my mom and dad took us to knock to see the Pope, as a lot of people in Ireland did back in, in the 80s when he came and... Um, half of Ireland, I think, was there. 1979,
0: on that. I think it, would have it was. September 79. It was,
1: and as I said, half of Ireland was there, and it was fine getting there, but getting out after he left was a panic, and literally, I've never been in such a crowd where we were actually lifted off the ground and our feet weren't touching it in the in the crush to get out, and ever since then I've been a little bit claustrophobic, so concerts haven't necessarily been something that I would have been a huge fan of. That's understandable. But um, I did sort of wean myself out of it. And um, I think my first proper one was Depeche Mode in New York years ago. Myself and Pascal uh, went to see that. And then more recently, um, we saw Hosier um, at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York. And then Glenn Hansard played St. Patrick's Day um, two years ago, I think, at the... um, in Theatre with surprise guest Dermot Kennedy, who we just saw on the way in here earlier, actually, which is lovely to bump into him. Um, but then really, um, the concert that really comes to mind um, was at the INEC in Killarney um, two years ago, or a year ago, with um, Frances Black, Sharon Shannon and Mary Coughlin. And um, I have a girl for the three girls, um, especially Frances. Um, but the three women on stage are phenomenal. And each artist on her own just raising the roof but then when the three combined it was just just absolutely spectacular the energy in the house was amazing and they're just a lot of time they're just riffing and making it up as they're going along and the crack between them is just it's just serious entertainment and it's so much fun and they carry the audience with them and then what made that one super special was um francis dedicated a song she actually we were she was a guest at our wedding and we had met her many, many, many years ago in New York and became fast friends. And she said, if you ever get married, I'm coming to your wedding. And I'm going to sing at your wedding. And we held her to it and she came to our wedding. Herself and Eva Scott came to the wedding and Frances sang um, This Love Will Carry. So that was our first song on the dance floor. And at the gig in the INAC, there was a shout out to Don and Pascal in the audience. And she dedicated that song to us that night. So that was wonderful.
0: I feel very bad now we don't actually have that song to actually play for you because what we have is, well, it's one of my own personal favourites, so I'm delighted that we're going to have a bit of Depeche Mode and Personal
1: Jesus. Oh, great.
0: You need to come time we've played that in recent months on the Culture Club. You're not the first person <laughs> who's picked Depeche Mode live in concert and we picked that particular track. Don O'Neill with us for the Culture Club, fashion designer to the stars in New York, who has returned to his home place in Ballyhague in County Kerry after, Ballyhague I should say to pronounce it Ballyhague. correctly, uh, after how many years again is this? Thir- 30 years in New York. 30 years in New York, okay. and back for good now are you? Back for
1: good, definitely, yeah.
0: Okay, Favourite movie or favourite actor? And you have gone for the work of Audrey Hepburn. Tell us why.
1: Um, Again, I guess the fashion, fashion comes to the fore. And as a little boy watching that film, I was always utterly fascinated for many different reasons. But I guess the glamour of the film and the transformation of the ragged flower girl into the Duchess was just for me um i guess it was it was very informative and and i guess in the as i said in those formative years it was just creating the man that i would become as a designer seeing the power of dressing and what it could do for a woman and that scene where she appears at the top of the stairs on her way to the embassy ball in that crystal embroidered gown with her incredible headpiece just glittering utterly transformed at the top of the staircase that for me was for me as a designer is the ultimate goal as a designer to to give every woman that transformative moment where she's just utterly breathtaking. And that was extraordinary for me in that film. And I think I took it right through into all of my career.
0: What age were you when you decided you wanted to be a designer, realized that this was where your talents would lie?
1: Um, I think it was it was a it was around me when I was really little, but I think it was in my early teenage years that it really started to form. My my mom was always into fashion and dressed impeccably. And my auntie Brie another from who came from America every um, summer, was also impeccably dressed. So there was, I was surrounded by women that were beautifully dressed. And then I had this strange fascination, which is bizarre, but the sun sparkling on the water in Ballyhide Bay, where we look, the house overlooks the bay. And I was fascinated by sparkle and I would stare into it and squint until it was literally burning the back of my eyeballs. But I dreamed of, wouldn't it be amazing if I could take the really shiny part of the middle of that water and turn it into a dress and then someone could wear it. So, shine and sparkle was just something for me I thought magical and transformative. And again, going back to my fair lady, she's standing at the top of the stairs and she's shimmering in this crystal embroidered dress. And hence, many years forward, Don O'Neill moves on to making dresses out of sequins and glass and crystal that shimmer and shine just as I imagined they should without knowing back then how that could even be possible.
0: Let's hear a little bit from My Fair Lady, where Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison as Eliza Doolittle and Professor Higgins. This is where Eliza is learning how to stop dropping her H's.
2: All right, Eliza, say it again. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. (sighs) The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain.
0: Didn't I say that?
2: No, Eliza, you didn't sigh that. You didn't even say that. Now, every night before you get into bed where you used to say your prayers, I want you to say the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain 50 times. you get much further with the Lord if you learn not to offend his ears. Now for your H's. Pickering, this is going to be ghastly. Control yourself, Higgins. give the girl a chance. Oh, well, I suppose you can't expect her to get it right the first time. Come here, Eliza, and watch closely. Now. You see that flame? Every time you pronounce the letter H correctly, the flame will waver, and every time you drop your H, the flame will remain stationary. That's how you'll know if you've done it correctly. In time, your ear will hear the difference. See it better in the mirror. Now, listen carefully. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever... Happen now, uh, repeat that after me. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire, hurricanes hardly ever happen. Oh, no, 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 I no, here at all. Should I do it over? No,
1: please. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you actually had a fleeting encounter with Audrey Hepburn. Well, um, I was a huge, huge fan of hers and all of her fin- all of her movies. Um. And I was fortunate, um, I had an interview at Givenchy in Paris um, shortly after I arrived there and I was on my way down from the atelier upstairs and it's this grand old building as you would have in Paris with a huge staircase and I'm coming down the staircase and I noticed there's a woman coming up against me and of course um, fashion would be the first thing I would see and the woman's head was down what she was wearing this beautiful chocolate beret and then a chocolate, what looked like a thick cashmere or vicuna swing coat that was swishing around her and chocolate-covered wool. So you
0: notice all these details and the colours (laughs) and retain them, do
1: you? As she was coming up and uh, chocolate-covered, chocolate-coloured wool hose and flat ballet flats that were like crocodile in a crocodile bag. She was ultimately so chic and I remember thinking, God, French women are just so chic. This woman is the epitome of chic. I'm admiring the outfit because I couldn't see her And as we were both coming down, she's coming up the same side, I'm coming down. And then she, we met and she lifted her head and I said, bonjour. And she said, bonjour. And as she said it, I thought, I know that face. I know that face. And she looked me directly in the eyes with those big brown eyes. I'm like, oh my God, that's Audrey. It's Audrey Hepburn. And I stepped aside and she's like, "Mercy," And I was just transfixed and frozen as she all just floated up the stairs. I couldn't believe that I'd had that chance encounter with that woman that I admired all of my life and probably was instrumental into me becoming a fashion designer at one point with her, my fair lady appearance. Let's go to plays or musicals. What do you have for us? So plays or musicals, so there's, um, um, there's a few, but... Um, The Lion King would be, um, probably Pascal and I would be our favourite musical. Um, And The Lion King in New York uh, was something that we, I think I took Pascal for his his birthday, which was extraordinary. And then anyone who came to see us after that, we took them as a treat to see The Lion King. Why? What is it about it? Well, The Lion King, the story about The Lion King and the circle of life, I mean, it's it's such a simple story and it's told to children, but it tells you everything you need to know about your life and how to live your life and the greater meaning of life. And it's and the show itself, the message is so well um communicated to the audience through the puppetry, through the skills, it's so emotional. And then um there are so many points in the film or in the in the actual um Broadway production that are so extraordinary. But the one part um is when he's sort of lost his faith and he's angry at the world and he's angry at his father, has passed away and then he has the realization that his father's spirit lives in him or he lives in me. I'm actually getting emotional here <laughs> thinking about it because um, for me as well, um, having lost my mom um, 10 years ago, but to have the, um, the realization that they live in us and it's extraordinary. They, they do live in us. And it's something as simple as a Disney cartoon, The Lion King. And they're telling the world that you might miss them, but we have their strength and they are around us and they do live in us.
0: Let's hear the finale from Lion King the musical. <laughs> Life from the Lion King the musical now your TV show was very much a hit in the 1970s starring a man who later got bigger fame in Dallas Patrick Duffy and the man from Atlantis
1: yes I was absolutely obsessed by the man from Atlantis as a, a young fellow probably 8, 9, 10, 11 I think when when that um, show was on television um, and I didn't realise I was a gay man then, but I was just obsessed with Patrick Duffy and his little <laughs> yellow swim tugs and little did I know, but it was probably obvious to everyone around me except to me. Um, but I remember going down swimming in the summer and trying to swim the same way he did and practically breaking my back and getting nowhere in the water. And just being being obsessed by the whole concept of the show and the the submarine that was called the Cetacean and making little models of it and and his his relationship with Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, who was the woman who played the doctor, that I was also infatuated with because I just thought she was an extraordinary kind and caring woman taking care of um, the man from Atlantis. But I was so enamoured with the show that I was supposed to go to the Gaelthag that summer and I steadfastly refused. I wouldn't go to the Gaelthag because I was going to miss the man from Atlantis on television.
0: Let's hear a little bit. Victor Bueno as Mr. Schubert talking to the mysterious man from Atlantis played by the aforementioned Patrick Duffy.
1: I
3: liked you when we first met, but now that I have read this report on your innards, I really like you. Because I know you. I know all about you. Where you're strong, where you're weak. I could blind you with light. Or we'll fry you with ultrasonics. Or we'll just keep you away from water and watch you gasp like a fish on the desert. I sure could. But I don't waste treasures that come to me from the ocean. Besides, we gotta stick together. Survival is not only the reward of the fittest, it is our obligation. All right. In return for your friendship, I'll trade the lives of those lesser people who apparently wish to leave my home. Our home. Yours and mine, Mark. You do the honours. The gate to the sea and freedom for your friends.
0: The man from Atlantis from the 1970s. What about modern-day television? What do you watch?
1: Um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So the Disney Channel uh, is something that I am in completely and utterly enthralled by. Um, Star Wars, again, was something that came into my life when I was very young. I was 10 or 11 when the film first came out. And it was probably the first film I saw on the big screen. It was the first film I saw on the big screen and I was utterly captivated. Interly, was it? Interley, um, as every 10 and 11-year-old um, person, boy or girl, was at the time. And it just stuck with me my entire life to the point where actually... Two years ago, for my birthday, Pascal took me to Disney to actually do the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge so I could fully experience it. And it was absolutely amazing. But um, as far as television goes, there are so many new shows that are part of that universe that I am totally and utterly a fan of every single one of them.
0: (laughs) Okay. And I see when it comes to reading that The Lord of the Rings is your favorite.
1: Well I guess fantasy probably is a big part of my life and I guess part of being a fashion designer fantasy plays a big role in it but The The Lord of the Rings was my favourite book and um, as intimidated as I was by the utter size of that tome, um, the story and in my own vivid imagination how I saw that story unfold I was utterly fascinated. It was a book that I couldn't put down and I think I read it I think like many people in record time for a book that was that big but Seeing, seeing that world in my head and imagining how it was, it was again a gateway to creativity and storytelling and I think again when it came to fashion shows and me putting on my own shows, sort of pushing my creativity to be as dramatic as those scenes that I read about in The Lord of the Rings. One
0: final thing. We ask for a buried treasure. It can be anything. And you've gone back to a movie that I can just about remember from the late 1980s, a Danish movie called Babette's Feast. Why have you picked that out?
1: Um, I guess going back to, first of all, my love of food and the culinary arts and the fact that Babette was a chef. Um, but then the fact that it was just such a beautiful movie where she hid her enormous talent And for years was in the service of these two wonderful elderly ladies that sort of took her in and thought they were doing her a service, but it was sort of a mutual agreement that they were both taking care of each other. And she hid hid that talent from them until um, she won the lottery in France at the time, which was an absurd amount of money. And she used the money to create a meal for them, where she was once a great chef in Paris and she would recreate that meal for them. So for me, the The movie was about an act of of selflessness and giving and sharing and humanity and love and kindness and giving back. And the fact that she gave everything that she had back to these two women that she loved and the community that she was working with and serving and sort of a caretaker of. It's just it's one of the most magnificent, majestic movies that you'll ever get to see. So I highly recommend people dig out Beth's Feast and have a look at it.
0: Great way to finish. Don O'Neill It's been great meeting you Thank you very much For coming up from Kerry To do the Culture Club today The Last Word With Matt Cooper Weekdays from 4.30 Today